Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Christ Pacific Church, hey, thanks for worshiping with us this morning. And I'm so honored uh, that I get to take us through a passage through this cruciform life. Um, and my name is Tanner Orell, for those who don't know me. And um, I have the honor of taking us through uh, Romans 3, 21 through 26 today. Uh, and again, we're going through this cruciform life, which is a series that Peter has been taking us through. And the, the idea is how does the cross form and how does the cross mold our everyday life, not just uh, an hour on Sunday, but our, our every day, our every thought, our every word. Uh, and Peter did an awesome job last Sunday of, of asking <clears throat> some questions about how Jesus bore our sin. And today I get to talk about uh, the fact that Jesus took our place on the cross. And I think a lot of times as Christians, especially if we grew up as Christians and we grew up at Sunday school, we've heard a thousand times that Jesus took our place on the cross. And we've grown dull to that statement. We hear that and we're like, yeah, he did. Hmm. Go on with our day, right? But this is an amazing, magnificent thing. And we need to celebrate that. And so I'm celebrating that today uh, as I'm recording this with you guys. And I'm so excited that we get to worship together and talk about uh, three questions. I have three questions for us. And two of them, yes, I did steal from Peter, but one of them is of my own origin. So you're welcome. Okay, uh, number one, why did Jesus go to the cross? That's my first question I'm going to be asking. Number two, what did Jesus accomplish on said cross? And number three, how does this affect our lives? Um, And so before we dive in, would would you guys pray with me? Uh, Jesus, we just ask that amongst the distractions and the chaos of everything that's going on in our world right now, Father, that we would just focus on you. That this morning, this afternoon, this evening, uh, we choose to worship you and we choose that you are glorified and that we focus on you and solely on you. We praise you for all that you've done, that you're going to do, um, and that you have done for us, Father. Uh, We lift up your perfect name. Amen. Uh, When I think, take your place, when you say someone takes your place, my mind always goes to to a negative spot, right? Like, uh, say you're in quarantine and you are prepared for the ultimate movie marathon. You're going to watch all of your favorite movies. You're going to spend the whole day on the couch. So you, uh, you pick the perfect corner spot, right? It's got the best pillows. It's got the nice long chase for your legs, and you got a nice blankie. And you are about to dive in to uh, these movies, but you decide you need to get up and get some water. You need something to drink. And so you get up, you go to the kitchen. When you come back, someone has taken your place. It's usually your younger sibling or your older sibling, right? But someone has taken your spot, and you're like, that's my spot. What are you doing, right? But in this case, when we're looking at Romans, right, we're, we're celebrating the fact that someone took our place because they have done something that we could not do. And that brings us to, uh, to our, our first question, right? Why did Jesus go to the cross? And um, I'm going to start reading in verse 21. Uh, in the ESV version, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Uh, in the NIV version, it says, But now apart from the law... 
the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Uh, if you are not as sharp like myself, sometimes it helps to for me to read for, through multiple different scriptures, uh, excuse me, translations of the same scripture when I'm uh, studying a passage. And so NIV, I think, just made it a little more simple for me, and I'm going to read that one more time. Uh, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. The righteousness of God has been made known, right? The prophets in the Old Testament have been prophesied the coming of God's righteousness in the form of a Messiah, that, that redemption and grace are they're on their way. Uh, but for Paul, it's here, right? It happened through Jesus. And so um, the next question, right, is how, uh, how does one achieve this righteousness? How does one become one with this righteousness, with the kingdom of God? In verse 22, uh, Paul says, the righteous, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. So the righteousness is here. God is here. It's among us. But how do we obtain it? Through our faith, having faith, recognizing Jesus as your Savior. If you want to be in connection with the kingdom of God, with the righteousness of God, okay, we have to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what connects them, right? But hey, who can, uh, who can have access to this righteousness? In verse 22, if we keep reading, it says, In Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. I think we often think we fall short. We can't connect with God because, well, I did this last week, right? I'm not a righteous person. I'm not a holy person. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a Sadducee, right? I can't connect with the righteousness of God, but it says to all because there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, no difference between believer and non-believer. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, which makes you a believer, then you have, then you're a part of that righteousness, which is pretty awesome that no one is exempt from the, the grace and the love of God if you uh, have faith in Jesus Christ. So that, that's kind of cooking us up for our first question, which is, why did Jesus go to the cross? So verse, uh, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is why Jesus came, right? The number question number one, if you're taking notes, why did Jesus go to the cross? Because all have fallen short. Um, I'm going to invite you guys to watch this really quick clip from, uh, from a movie. For those of you who don't know, uh, that movie was The Hunger Games. And the idea of The Hunger Games is once a year or so, they choose a boy and a girl from these different distinct districts and they put them in an arena and they literally make them fight to the death. It's a little somber and a little bit scary, but it brings us to our point because this little girl was doomed, right? The little girl that was chosen, Primrose, right? Her name was called and she knew that she was doomed and she knew that she was walking to her death because she, she did not have the tools to survive what was coming for her, right? She could never achieve victory with what was waiting for her, but someone else took her place. Imagine being in that little girl's shoes and you know you're just a little sweet little girl and you don't wanna go fight and kill people, right? But someone steps up and takes your place so that you don't have to go. This is what Jesus did, right? He took our place when we didn't, we certainly don't wanna to go to the cross, that's for sure, right? But we deserve the cross. Um, so our question number one, why did Jesus go to the cross? Jesus went to the cross to ensure our victory. 
because he knew that we couldn't succeed, just like that little girl could not succeed in the Hunger Games. She was not going to win. Spoiler alert. She, she wouldn't have won. Okay? They want, Jesus wanted to ensure our victory. So that's why he took our place. That's why he went to the cross. It's similar to the story I shared on Ash Wednesday, if you had to join us uh, on Ash Wednesday. Um, I played football in high school in my senior year. Um, I was starting on the defense, and it was awesome. And instead of, unfortunately, uh, our coaches motivating us with encouraging words like, hey, you can do this, you got this, I believe in you, go out there, play hard, have fun, right? What every, every high school athlete wants to hear. Um, instead, we're told, perform exactly how I need you to, or I will have someone take your place which at the time felt so unfair and so stressful. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I mess up on any play, like they're gonna pull me at any second, right? But now looking back at it from uh, an adult standpoint and seeing the coach's point of view, the co it wasn't personal, right? They said that to everyone, it wasn't personal. It was just the idea that the coach wanted to put someone in who he knew could ensure victory. Okay, God looked at his people, he looked at the Israelites, he looked at the Gentiles, and he said, there's no one out there, there's not a single person who's going to be able to connect us, reconnect all of humanity with my righteousness. So he put someone in our place. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross. We needed someone who was blameless, who was sinless, that could ensure victory. Someone He, he wanted to put someone in the game that he knew without a doubt, without fail, was going to win. And did he win? He secured a victory so beyond anything in, in history that it's, it's beyond words. I'm at a loss for words. I don't know what to say because it's so magnificent. And this is what Jesus says in John 16, uh, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have victory. I'm going to read that back half again for anyone that is feeling fearful, that is feeling stressed out right now in this kind of crazy, unsure time. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. We certainly have a little bit of trouble right now, don't we? He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have victory. Okay, so why? Number Question number one. Why did Jesus go to the cross? To ensure victory. Because only he could do it. Because only he was sinless and only he was blameless. And he was the only person on our team that could win and ensure victory. That's question number one. Moving right along into question number two. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Um, <clears throat> let's read verse 25. God presented Christ... As a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Uh, J.I. Packer, an author, uh, wrote this, and I thought it was really simple and impactful. He says, By his sacrificial death for our sins, Christ pacified the wrath of God. Jesus pacified the wrath of God through his own blood as an act of atonement as a sacrifice. And this wrath, this wrath is what we so greatly deserved. 
Uh, wrath, according to the New Bible Dictionary, is defined as holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of his holiness. Okay, wrath is God's reaction to things that contradict his holiness. And we, unfortunately, so often, for all of history since Adam and Eve's fall, right, we have contradicted God's holiness with our words and with our actions and our thoughts. And so we were deserving of this wrath, of this judgment, of a gruesome murder similar to the cross. That's what we deserved. But someone took our place so that we wouldn't have to. Okay, through his blood, he pacified the wrath of God. Um, I, I wrote this and it says, uh, The nails temporarily pierced the flesh of Jesus, but they eternally struck the heart of sin and death. And I think that's what he accomplished on the cross, is, is that, yes, he was temporarily harmed, but eternally he won victory over sin and death, and he pacified the wrath of God so that we didn't have to face this gruesome, terrible judgment, so that we could have eternal life inside that righteousness that those first passage, the first uh, verses talked about, right? That righteousness of God, that we could be in that instead of what we truly deserve. So question number three, moving right along. <laughs> How does this affect our lives? Again, we, we've, um, if you're tuning in, you, you've probably heard these terms before, that he was the atonement for our sin, that he took our place, that he bore our sin, that Jesus loves me, right? We've all heard these things, but so many of us live a passive Christian lifestyle where it doesn't mean anything. These empty words, we've grown dull these these powerful powerful words but I look at people like Paul who was Saul right when when he encountered God when he encountered Jesus and he put his faith in Jesus he so drastically changed his life that people had to call him by a different name because he became so new and so different that his name had to be changed which is Hard to, to put into words how we can do that in a day-to-day -day life, right? Um, but there's a story that I, I often tell my students, and it's, it is fictitious. It's a little silly. Um, and Peter actually kind of shared a similar story last Sunday. Um, but I think it, it conveys the gospel in really simple terms uh, that we can all connect with. So I'm going to tell you guys that story. Uh, there's, there's two twin brothers born. Uh, we'll call them Steve and Roger. Again, these are fictitious people, but... Um, Steve and Roger are identical twins. Not even their own parents can tell them apart. And as they get a little bit older, you know, we start to see that Roger's a little bit of a troublemaker, right? In grade school, he, he lies and he steals and he's disrespectful with his teachers and he hurts other kids sometimes. Uh, but Steve, on the other hand, Steve is wonderful. Uh, no offense to anyone named Roger, by the way. I'm sure you're wonderful. But uh, Steve also is really wonderful. And he... Uh, he does really well in school. He, he listens to all his teachers. The teachers love him. His parents love him. Um, he's just a wonderful, wonderful person, right? And as they get older, uh, Roger starts to get into more trouble. And he starts to move further and further away from his father. But Steve's staying close to his dad, right? They have a great relationship. Steve's doing well in school. Uh, he's really smart. He's, 
great athlete, yada, 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 right? And Roger's kind of spiraling. So they get to high school, maybe Roger drops out of high school and he uh, he's doing drugs and he's mixed in with the wrong crowd. Steve's Val Victorian, Eagle Scout, doing awesome, right? And very close with his dad. Um, and they graduate high school, they become adults. And Roger does the unthinkable. Roger takes another person's life in this lifestyle that, that he's caught up in. He, he actually kills someone. And, and so Roger goes to prison. Okay, Steve, on the other hand, Steve's got an amazing job, a family. Uh, he's doing super well. Everybody loves him. Um, he's never done anything wrong. Okay, and Roger is in prison. And now Roger is waiting to be put to death, right? He gets the death penalty. And so on the last day when Roger uh, is about to be put to death, Steve comes to the jail cell. And remember, they are identical twins. No one can tell them apart. You probably know where this is going. Uh, Steve gets in the jail cell and he says, Hey, Dad sent me. Switch clothes with me. And so they switch clothes and, and Roger walks free. And later that day, Steve, who had never done anything wrong, Steve's put to death. And now Roger has one of two choices. He can continue this selfish lifestyle and move farther and farther and farther away from him, from his own father, who sent his only begotten son, his most beloved son, as a sacrifice for him, and he can keep moving away from him and say, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for the second chance, this new life, but I'm going to continue to do what I was doing. Or he can go be in a relationship with his father, and he can do his best to try to be like Steve. He can try his best to love people how Steve did, to, to serve people how Steve did, and be closer and closer to his father than ever. And ha if people look at him, maybe they might even think it is Steve, right? Because they're identical, but now his actions are matching it too. And again, it's a silly story, but we, we have the same choice every day with our words and our actions and our thoughts. Because someone took our place and we can say, yeah, gee, thanks, and continue to do selfish things, which I, I'm, you know, I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone else. Continue to pursue selfish ambitions, use my words to tear people down for a laugh or something, right? Um, or we can, we can try to, try to pretend to not pretend, but try to behave like the person that took our place. Try to act and love and serve like the person that took our place, which will just bring us closer to our Father and be in that righteousness. Okay, because we can't grow dull to the fact that Jesus took our place on the cross. We can't grow dull to the fact that we have a Savior that was pierced for our rebellion that was crushed for our sin, that was beaten so that we might be made whole, okay, that was whipped so that we might be made heal, so that we might be healed. We can't grow dull to what he did, what he's continued to do today, and what his promises of what he's going to do tomorrow. for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to at Huntington Beach, 
please visit us at cpc.com.